Hello, and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin English, founder of The Silver Edge. Our mission at The Silver Edge is to inspire men and women in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond to live their strongest, healthiest, most fulfilling lives. In this podcast, we share stories of amazing individuals who are doing just that to help motivate you to become the healthiest version of yourself, regardless of your age. And now, on to today's podcast. Hello, my guest this week is Liz Farrow. Liz is a mother of two, wife, athlete, speaker, and author of the books Finish Line Feeling and Girls with Soul, a girl power guide to unleashing your inner superhero. She is also the founder and CEO of Girls with Soul, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing fitness and wellness programs to girls at risk. Liz lived in four foster homes before her adoption at age two. As a child, she was sexually abused by a neighbor and found solace in fitness and running. To date, Liz has crossed many finish lines. She has completed 77 marathons, two 50K ultras, and five Ironmans, and countless other road races and triathlons. The empowerment gained from sport led her to found Girls with Soul, which has received extensive national attention for its innovative and successful programming. She has been featured on the NBC Today Show and in Self, Runner's World, Town and Country, Traditional Home, and Family Circle magazines. She's the recipient of the 2016 Medical Mutual Pillar Award, the 2015 Women Who Excel Entrepreneur Award, and the 2014 Self Women Doing Good Award and many, many others, too numerous to list here. Liz, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. I'm, I'm glad you're here. So your book, Finish Line Feeling, starts with a quote that reads, no one can go back and make a brand new start. Anyone can start from now and make a brand new ending. So with that as a backdrop, can you take us back to the beginning and tell us what were you like as a girl? Were you always active? Um, yeah, actually, I think it was just organic kind of active because I was a hyper kid kind of, you know, they, I know there were a lot of people that told my mom that I should be on Ritalin. So um, I know that's, you know, not something that you hear about these days, but our age group knows what Ritalin is. Um, <laughs> actually, yeah, I mean, I was in competitive sports from about age five and on. And I really, truly think it was my parents' way of trying to burn me out um, in terms of my energy levels and just kind of, I guess, in a way, almost like inventing girls with soul before they even knew what it was or before I knew what it was, because that's kind of what it was about was, you know, channeling that crazy energy in a better place. (laughs) Finding a a healthy outlet for all that energy. So what what types of sports were you doing? Oh, my goodness. I was in gymnastics. I was on this. travel like competitive gymnastics team when I was six, which is kind of nuts. Also swimming. I swam all year round from again, age five. Um, I was on a swim team, did the, I I guess it's USA or USS now, but um, it was uh, AAU swimming back in the day. So that's what I did. Um, I was in softball. uh, My parents had me in basketball. I don't know if you name a sport, I have probably played it or been on a team or at least tried it. 
So were your parents also active or was this just something that they thought that you needed? That's the funny thing. Not really. Okay. So you got to remember, this is like, I was born in 69. So this is like the seventies when they first coined, you know, the phrase jogging was like a big deal, right? Like jogging was a thing, you know, it became a thing and you had outfits for it and all that. And um, my dad decided he was a jogger, but I mean, he was kind of overweight and didn't really do it that often. And when he did, he would drive his car to the track at the high school and run around a little bit and then drive home, which is totally fine. I mean, at least he was doing something. But to answer your question, honestly, my mom would swim laps sometimes and stuff, but I wouldn't consider them to be athletic people by any stretch. Um, I truly think that they were more interested in finding what strengths or what was needed for each child in the family. I have a brother who's biological child of my parents. And then I have another brother who was adopted. And then there was me and we were all night and day different personalities. So they had us all doing our thing that they felt was needed for us. And sports was my thing. So we, it's safe to say you've always been active. I have, your entire yeah. Life. And I do feel, yeah. to answer your question in a long way, that my parents just sort of put me in it, but I wouldn't say that they were definitely the most dynamic athletes in the world. <laughs> right, right. Just looking for that healthy yeah. outlet. So you were, as you said, a hyper child. You found sport very early on, and you probably weren't aware of it then, but it's going to become an outlet for you, right? As, as you are going to face more and more challenges. As we read in the, in the intro, you were a, a victim of sexual abuse early on. When did you realize that sport, whether it's running or swimming, any of these things could be a, a valuable way. And, and how was it valuable or was it? Did you, um, did you I don't know. Were you thinking of it in that term? You know, in then? high school, I don't think I really had a handle on the fact of what it was doing for me. Um, I was just pretty wild at that time and didn't, I, I just was all about where's the next party. And, you know, I was, thankfully pretty decent at swimming. And so I could get away with running and swimming and track and all that stuff and still do the extracurriculars on the side that I chose um, and still function and all that stuff. But um, I think when I really discerned that it was something super valuable was probably in college because I was really struggling um, internally. That's when I started to struggle with so many different things. I mean, even an, an eating disorder and just not feeling good about myself as a result of the abuse. And um, I don't know, when you're sexually abused as a child too, what happens a lot of times is you can go literally one way or another and they're like 180 degree differences. So you can either be like super promiscuous or like not do anything at all. And I was just like over the top with everything, like parties, guys, everything. So it was a way of punishing myself. And I think that fitness and sports was that one healthy thing that I was just like, not going to let go of. I was going to hold on to it, you know, by my fingertips if I had to, but I wasn't going to let go. So I knew that that was the thing that was needed in my life because it was positive influence and outlet. It was all of the above. It was when I felt most normal, most human, most calm. So I needed it. And yeah, you mentioned that you struggled uh, in college. And I I think in your book, you talk about you struggled with obviously some some self-image issues and bulimia, right? Um, 
your dis- real serious eating disorders. Talk a little bit about that and what finally broke that spell. Cause that's, that's obviously a, a tough one for a lot of, a lot it of people. really is. I mean, it's, uh, like a, being a prisoner in your own body, um, in a way. And, um, it's not easy to overcome. That's for sure. Um, I think in college it was maybe the height of it, but into my early twenties, it was pretty bad too. Um, but I really, you know, being an athlete and knowing that how important, you know, your nutrition and your energy levels are, I kept, you know, it was like, I was this strange dichotomy between the two things. Like, what are you doing? You're like so healthy and so strong and you know, better, you know, what's good for you and that you need this. But then on the other hand, I wanted to punish myself. So I'm like, okay, so now I'm stuck in between those two places. And I think just, um, being able to overcome it when I, when I did, it was basically one of those things where you purge and you're literally like, eyes are watering and then you start crying and you're looking in the mirror. It's like one of those things. I, I don't know, after school special where you just are like, I can't live like this. This can't be me for the rest of my life. So I just literally made the decision that I was going to quit cold Turkey and I wasn't going to do it anymore because I wanted healthy things in my life and I wanted healthy relationships and children and things that I really didn't feel went hand in hand with that um, type of, eating disorder or behavior. So I literally quit it. And I don't know if it's strong will or what. I mean, I didn't do it ever again. And it was just done. I was I was over it. But I mean, I went through where I couldn't even go out to a restaurant without going to the, the bathroom in the restaurant and throwing up. So it's not like, oh, I'm so amazing. I just quit bulimia. I mean, it was hard. <laughs> and it was not um, something that I think is just so easy to do. But I was just like, determined I wasn't going to live like that anymore. And I think we're gonna we're gonna see that determination come out a little bit more really here as your life goes on. Sometimes it works in my favor. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Sometimes it works in your favor, and certainly in in that case, it yes. did, right? And I, thank goodness you had something like sport and physical fitness and activity in your life that had given you that kind of sense of accomplishment and that you can push through hard things and do difficult things. And exactly. um, certainly I mean, that had I, to when be. When I say it saved my life, I, it's not an exaggeration in at all to yeah. any extent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So from there, from college, you, you've gone through some, a pretty tough patch, a very tough patch. You've decided that you're going to change. You've made this big change in your life. You've stayed active this entire time. When does your first marathon or triathlon come? How far away is that? After college, um, I, not that far out. I was working in an athletic club, actually, because, um, of course, I wanted my job to be fitness related coming out of college. And um, I did go to Europe for a year after school. So let's say I'm about 22 years old by the time I come back. So, yeah, probably my first marathon was at like 23 something like that. And, um, it was that it was, um, actually the Las Vegas marathon before they changed the course. So it was way back in the day. So it had to be like 1993, I think. And they literally would just load you into a bus and take you out to what they call vacation village. So you're on this stretch of highway, literally in the desert with just tumbleweeds and that's it. They drop you off at 26 miles and you run back. (laughs) Oh, is that right? So that's just a point-to-point marathon then. It's considered a downhill marathon because um, even though it's flat, you can see the finish line the whole time. 
So it's like a little speck wow. in the in the distance, but you can see it. Um, so that's why they deem it a downhill race, even though there's no hills. I mean, it's literally just straight right. road. But right. I, oh my gosh, I remember saying, I'm never doing that shit again. <laughs> Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask you. I was going to say, cause I think that there's two types of people, people that, that they decide they're going to do a marathon and they either say, that's it. One and done. I'm glad I did it, but the, that's a bucket list thing. I'm never doing that again. That was horrible. And others say, Oh my God, that was fantastic. I'm signing up for the next one. Yeah. So you sound like you had a little bit well, of both there. At the you end know, of that. it was my first one. I didn't know I was scared and I was out there with a friend and so we ran together, which was fun. And it wasn't a horrible, horrible race. I mean, I did like a four hour or something um, for a first marathon. It's not bad, but I don't know. I was just like, oh my God, that was really hard. I don't know if I ever want to do that again. And then I ended up doing obviously like 76 more. My husband, however, did one race, met me while we were doing it and then never did it again. So I'm wondering, one race meaning one marathon. So I'm wondering if that's a compliment or an insult. Like, I don't, look what happened last time I did that shit. I'm not doing that Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Or, or the other way. It's like, hey, I, I did what I set out to right? do. Right, and I got what done. I wanted out of it. So I don't need <laughs> yeah, to do that's it again. Exactly so right. I don't know. You could look at it either way. But yeah, he was that person. Right. And I was the person who said I wouldn't do it again. But probably signed up yeah. for the next Yeah, clearly that didn't happen. Because that's just how I am. And then actually when I immediately signed up for my first Ironman almost immediately after my first marathon. And everybody was like, you're crazy. You're first of all, you know, you're not seasoned enough. You're too young. You've only done one marathon. Are you insane? You know, you can't do an Ironman, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> right. Hey, why don't you tell our listeners? Um, Cause not everybody's going to be familiar with what's involved in an Ironman. What are those distances? Um, Ironman is just an ultra triathlon. So the distances are 2.4 mile swim and then 112 mile bike and then a marathon 26.2. Yeah. So what made you decide that you wanted 6. to do? <laughs> yeah. So what, what made you decide you wanted to do uh, well, first, what made you decide you want to do a marathon? You know, I always just wanted to push myself like the further, the furthest I could go. I mean, it's just how I've always been my whole life. Like even when my dad would take his car to the track and I'd be like, can I go with you? And he'd be like, sure, you know, it's going to burn you out a little. Come on, you know. So I would jump in the car and it would just be this awesome thrill for me to be like, oh, my God, I ran three times around. And then the next time I did five times around, you know, like just being able to beat myself <laughs> was like fun. I don't know. I'm kind of warped, I guess. But yeah, I just um, want to see how far I can go. And I, that just seemed like the ultimate, like how far can you go? So I know there's always something further and always somebody there crazier. Is, yeah. But for me at that time of my life, that was like the ultimate. So, and then watching it on the, um, I remember when they had the first Iron Man and they televised it. And I think the, um, what was her name? Now it's slipping my mind, but the pro triathlete's wife who she won for the women. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know why her name is skipping my mind, which is what kind of illustrates my point that I feel horrible for her. Cause she's an amazing athlete. And here she places first in the Ironman and like the first televised Ironman. And no one remembers her name, but they remember that she pooped her pants. <laughs> That's right. Like, yeah. Famously so. Yeah. The finish line and I was like, oh man, anything that makes you shit yourself and crawl is something I want to try. And my dad was like, you are <laughs> never right. going to do that. So 
I think if yeah. there's one thing or one lesson to be learned, if anybody cares about my mentality is don't ever tell me that I can't do something because <laughs> that's when I'm going to be hell bent to do it. So yeah, I think I wanted to do it since I was in eighth grade. I was like, I got to do that. So so you were aware of, of Ironman all the way back then? Because back then, I guess that would have been on like the Saturdays would have been on Wide it World was. Sports or something like that, right? It yeah. was, because my dad loved Wide I World of Sports. That. And I didn't necessarily like the show, but I like hanging out with my dad. So I would sit and watch it with him. And that just was like, holy crap, I got to do that. <laughs> so those seeds were planted early. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, walk us through your first Ironman. What, what was that like? <laughs> Well, it was in Florida and it was very hot. It was not considered an Iron Man as far as the logo. So some people are very particular about that. And I don't know which of your listeners may or may not be, but just, you know, full transparency, it's not an MDOT race. I've done um, five, what I consider 140.6 or Iron Mans, but only out of the five of them, two of them, two of them were MDOTs. So I've done the right. true logo Iron Man and then the other ones, which I will call the Iron Man distance, yes. right? Which yeah. If people think that that's not really an Iron Man, that's okay with me. I don't mind that mentality at all. But I just would say that having done both, my body does not know the difference. <laughs> in the logo yeah. no Your logo. body doesn't know the difference between the logo version. <laughs> or right? the higher okay. price Fair tag enough. versus maybe the lower price tag. My body, no difference. Not at all. They feel exactly the same. Um, my first one uh, wasn't a horrible time. I did a 13 hour, 42 minutes. But I do remember specifically how hot it was. And um, how important nutrition is and just that thin line of crossing over into too much hydration versus not enough hydration, things where, you know, when you're out there for so long, you don't really think about that otherwise and how important it is. Cause I mean, it's just, it can make or break your whole race. And I had some horrendous issues with overhydration that day. Oh, I never felt the pain of that before. I had never experienced it before. I didn't even know what it was. I just thought I felt crazy because I am crazy and it's not supposed to feel good. It's an Ironman. So like, it was supposed to feel right, but apparently it's super dangerous and I've been in that mm -hmm. state, but, um, but I ended up being okay. So, but this one kid, I remember specifically, there was a group of young guys. This was when I was on the marathon course and I was walking and it was really like I said, hot and just humid. And when you overhydrate, your stomach sort of swells, almost kind of like Ethiopian sort of swell, you know, like really protrudes. And you just feel really sick and your brain actually swells too. So you're, you get a major headache and a little disorientation, things like that. So I'm walking because clearly you don't feel like running when you feel that way. And this kid was standing on the sidelines watching with a group of young guys and they're drinking and whatever. They're, they're, they don't care. They don't want to know what's going on. And he does the slow clap and he's like, walking's a sport too. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to kill this kid. And yeah. Like, I had one yeah. ounce of energy. I kicked your ass right, right. <laughs> So my first was your typical, I'm young and, you know, just, whatever, didn't have the right, didn't really know what I was doing and didn't know what to expect, but pulled away with a 13 hour. It wasn't too bad, but I felt like crap on the run for sure. Yeah. So that's, that's hyponatremia. That is, is that, what is it's that called. Right? I always forget how to pronounce okay, it. Yeah. So I just say over. 
something like that. Yeah, it's a, that's as dangerous or more dangerous than underhydrating in those events. Yeah. And not everybody's everybody's familiar probably with underhydrating. Yeah, and I was so crazy paranoid like that, not to be underhydrated. I mean, right. I'm like, I'm Florida, right. I gotta, you know, oh gosh, no. I mean, you just end up washing away all your electrolyte. You wash all your salt. Right. Everything's gone. It's like. Yeah, you have a sodium yeah. imbalance and oh, bad things happen. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So you would think I would cross the line and say, I'm never doing that shit again, but I did four more of them. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So talk to us a little bit about crossing the line. What did that feel like as you came across the line, especially given the challenges you had there in, in the run portion? You know, no matter what, and that's where part of the uh, book title comes from the finish line feeling is so freaking incredible. Like you, if you could bottle that and sell it, you would be so rich. Seriously, nobody would need drugs. Like it's just like the best thing in the world. It's like coming home and it's so warm and like euphoric. Um, I didn't even not care at all how sick I felt. I forgot all about it when I crossed the finish line. I was so proud and I just wanted my dad, like my dad was sick and was not able to be there. And didn't even, you know, he knew I did it or he was going to know I did it. I mean, I was going to call him afterwards and everything, but just the pride and everything that went along with it was just so immense. Like it's, it's crazy. It's something you didn't think you could do and you do it. And that's the whole point, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and you, and you've gone on and done a few of them. So five years later, you're going to do another one. Um, and I happen to know you ran into some pretty serious difficulties in that triathlon, that Ironman distance. Can you tell us a little bit about the story of, and let's see, would that be, was that 2005 or? Yeah, I believe it was because 2000 was my first. That's it, okay. No, 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 no. My first was 1995. So it was like after I had my kids actually, the 2005 okay. one, because it was after I had my children. So, but yeah, and then they were going to come with me. My, my husband and my kids were going to come with me to Florida um, yeah. And it, so this was also in Florida. Second one was in the same exact place. And I was actually training with a buddy who went down ahead of time. We call him British Bob because he's from England and there was more than one Bob, blah, blah, blah. So he's British Bob. So British Bob asked me if I would take his bike for him since we're driving and he wouldn't have to ship it. So of course, yes. Well, we didn't know uh, Hurricane Wilma was on her way to just basically ravage all of Southern Florida, like was being completely evacuated. And my husband's like, well, we can't drive into a hurricane. You know, that's insane. Like, if you still want to go, I know how you are. That's fine. But not, you know, with the whole family. Of course, I agreed. But then here's poor Bob already down there with no bike. <laughs> So there was a quick phone call. So right away from the get-go, there was a lot of, I mean, when you're doing these things, like I said, the nutrition part is huge, but the mental part is so huge. And to have such fluctuation and 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 triathletes in general, I'm a little bit more easygoing because I'm a spaz and I'm just whatever. I don't even wear a watch. I don't have a Garmin. I'm like your atypical athlete, like in every way. But when you're doing these things, you can't have so many like huge fluctuations in emotional like distress, <laughs> you know? And so me calling him up to say, you know, here's the good news and the bad news. Uh, I'm going to fly in, but we got no bikes. <laughs> so yeah, the bike thing was a huge issue. I went all the way down there and we literally had to try and find a bike at the expo the night before the race. 
Yeah. So and if people don't aren't familiar with like a pre-race ritual, especially an endurance event like that, typically you're going to go to, you're going to do packet pickup and all of that. And, yeah, but know, really what you're going to do is you're going to yeah, you're going to scope things out. You're going to be relaxing that day before. You're going to be hydrating and you get your nutrition yeah. in. We weren't going to do any of that. You're going to carbo load for dinner, but instead you're running around looking for, you're going to basically borrow bikes. Yeah, is that so right? Yeah, we were literally running around um, in the Florida heat looking for bikes. We ended up finding a couple who um, live in the area. They lived in that town and they were triathletes. So they had a garage full of these old bikes that they were like, well, you know, if you really want one. I mean, it was better than renting like one of those beach cruiser things, you know, that was our, pretty much our only other option. Um, we were like, oh my God, yeah, you saved our our day, our race, whatever. So um, we go to their home and get these bikes. Well, for one thing, we had to go back to, you have to go back and check them in. You can't just, you know, bring them the day of the race. They have to be properly checked and all this stuff. Well, there wasn't room in the car for both. So I had to ride the darn bike in the 98 degree <laughs> back to the thing. And the woman who I borrowed it from, I'm 5'5", five five, is the woman that I borrowed the bike from was 5'10". And we adjusted it as best we could. But that's another thing that you don't think about maybe if you don't do endurance races or you just hop on a bike just to ride it for a mile or two. Your fit is like majorly important. You know, where your your arms are in the aero bars and Obviously, you know, the fit just makes all the difference. And mine was horrendous. <laughs> so painful on the bike ride. So then I ride and I'm dripping in sweat, like drenched, like I had just gone swimming to check my bike in. And by the time all said and done of the evening before the race, I think we didn't even eat dinner until like nine o'clock, which is awful. I mean, that's just awful before an Ironman when you have to get up at like four <laughs> to do an Ironman. Yeah, no, that's... That is less than ideal. Absolutely. A little less than ideal. Plus, in the meantime, things kept popping up that were like, they're going to cancel the race. They're not going to cancel the race. They're doing this. They're doing that. Or I don't know, just then with the whole thing with the bike, it wasn't just me dealing with me and my own mental state. But, you know, when you travel with someone else and their anxiety and they're anxious about the race, then you're dealing with two people's. And, you know, he's, he's a friend of mine, but, you know, you're just you have to deal with two people trying to deal with this crap at the same time. And he kept deciding back and forth, Oh, screw it. I'm out. I'm not doing it. And that was really hard uh, mentally on me because then I was just like, no, we're, we're still going to do it. We came all this way. We, we, we got the bikes. We have to, you know, like you can't have someone tell you that they're not doing it anymore and then stay, try to stay at that base level of, okay, I'm in this, I can do this. And then I'm trying to come yeah. pump him up, you know, it's like, oh man, help me. So that was that. But, and the race itself was just, oh my God, pure lunacy. <laughs> it was one thing, it was a comedy of errors, one thing after another. Right. <laughs> but somehow you, you pushed through all of that, right? I mean, you, you kind of had this last minute decision. Do I, do I even go? Right. I think you were originally going to go with your family, right? You're going to bring the, the bring your husband and kids down and, me. Didn't want to bring him into a no. hurricane and certainly can, can understand I'm, I'm that. Crazy, um, but I don't hurt other people. <laughs> <laughs> you get down there, you don't have bikes. So you're going to borrow some bikes and yeah, I mean, you're going to spend a lot of time on that bike. So if it's not custom fitted for you, that's, that's bad. So bad. Right? And like yeah. her, the arrow bars broke too, while I was riding because I wasn't used to the, um, 
I wasn't used to the bike. I mean, for one thing, the fitting was horrible. So I had this shooting pain like up my, like my, my ass, basically. I mean, it was just terrible, but I was just like, okay, well, you know, whatever. At least I have a bike. I kept telling myself this, but I wasn't used to it. And I went to put the brakes on and they were so good that I flipped off the bike. And so I had an accident actually on the course, which I wasn't hurt, but I broke her arrow bars. So <laughs> my arrow bars were broken. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. So you broke your, your borrowed bikes. Yeah. Arrow I'm, bars, I'm like, you know? I got back on, I'm like riding. I'm like, oh man, this sucks. Cause I was bleeding a little bit, which it wasn't that big of a deal, but you know, scratched up, broken arrow bars. So I'm like bent over on them. And, um, I noticed my friend, British Bob, on the side of the road with his bike is broken, too. I'm sorry. I just, for some reason, it comes back. The I can picture it like it was yesterday. And it's hilarious. Maybe you had to be there hilarious. But, you know, at that point, everything was just hilarious because you're like, seriously, what else? So he was out. What else like, I, wrong, I'm yeah. done. I quit. So he literally did quit the race at that point. And I was like, OK, well, you're on your own now. I, I got to just finish this. Oh, that's yeah. what I did. But yeah, we ended up giving back both the bikes broken. And of course, huge apologies. And I, we paid them <laughs> and everything else. Right. So, yeah. Thanks for the bikes. <laughs> Holy moly. Yeah, that's that's quite a story. Uh, but again, it shows your perseverance and, and your grit and determination to overcome in really difficult circumstances, right? Yeah, Which I is. It's a kind of recurring theme here. Like a pit bull out there. Like I'm not so much in competitiveness. I mean, I like to do decently, but I just, I just have a thing about quitting. I just can't give up. Like I, I would have to be like broken legs or something for me to quit. (laughs) All right. So we, we mentioned that you did, uh, 77 marathons today. Um, I think I read that you've done one in every state. Yeah, is that right? I did a 50 state um, campaign for Girls of Soul. So that's kind of what got that whole crazy ball rolling with the, the numbers going up. Gotcha. Okay. Right. <laughs> and then you, you did, um, you've done a couple of ultras. You've done a, a total of five of the Ironman distant triathlons. And what are you doing today? Are you still active in, in running? Are you still doing endurance yeah. events? Um. Well, since I did the 50 states for Girls of Soul, I decided to do um, all seven continents as well. So I did um, the Great Wall of China marathon, and I've I've done South Africa on a really cool, um, it's called the Entebbe Wildlife Preserve. So you run with the wild animals. It's called the Big Five um, because the Big Five wild game are all loose on the the race course. It's actually their home (laughs) that you're running. Um, And then my Ironman uh, Zurich in Switzerland counted as my um, European one. So that's three. And then I'm doing Antarctica in um, March. Um, I want to say that's, uh, wait, I I know I've done, I'll have two more. I'll have Antarctica, or um, after Antarctica, I will have um, South America and Australia left. Wow. So I wasn't aware that there was a a marathon in in yeah, Antarctica no, right? and in March. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. My, this might be showing my ignorance on um, geography here, but is that is that a good time of year it to run not. a marathon? It's their winter also there. Um, we actually fly to Argentina. My geography is not great either, but because, I mean, I looked into it a little bit because of the trip. And then you take a boat. Um, they're actually these big Russian boats because they do better in ice than the American boats do apparently. And you 
you sail on this boat for two days to get to Antarctica from Argentina. Um, yeah. Wow. So it's yeah. a very small race because obviously it's Antarctica. There's, you know, we, so we stay on the boat too. The, the boat's almost like a, I wouldn't say it's a cruise by any stretch, but it'll be sort of like our hotel and all that stuff. Um, and it's real tiny, um, race wise. I think it's not even a hundred people. And I signed up three years ago. So that's how long the wait list is. Wow. Okay. And so that would be this coming March then, yep. 2021. I got in this coming March, which I was a little worried because they had to cancel last year's and I thought maybe I would get bumped, but apparently I'm not. So I'm definitely going, uh, this March. <laughs> so what is your, what does your workout routine look like? If you're doing all this racing, how many days a week are you exercising and what are um, you doing? Well, you know, because of my age and just so many years of what most people would consider to be overuse, I don't have a lot of injuries or anything like that, but I get little nagging things here and there, like in my heel or a toe or something, it's, you know, nothing huge like knees or hips or anything. Um, but honestly, I concentrate more now on just keeping the wheels from falling off. <laughs> so I do probably three to four days a week, like strength and conditioning type classes or workouts. Um, I'll take a class that at my gym that focuses on, on those things. It's mostly kettlebells and body weight workout, things like that. Um, and then the other two days when I'm not, you know, if I'm going Monday, Wednesday, Friday to, to do that, I'll do either a short run or I swim or I ride my Peloton. And um, really, that's where I keep my base fitness. I really feel like because I guess there's an old saying about, you know, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. And there's a lot to be said for that and for muscle memory and just having that base level. So I honestly feel like I've, over the years, I've never, unless, I mean, I had children, um, I had two kids. Those were the only times when I truly like maybe kind of fell off of what, you know, I would consider my fitness training or whatever. Um, but I always keep a base level and I just kind of feed off of that. And then if I have to, I'll bump up a little bit, maybe a month or two before the race. But honestly, my mileage is really low. I probably run, this is kind of crazy, but I probably run like 15 miles a week and I'm, I'm yeah. okay, <laughs> but I want to be okay. Right. I want to just be comfortable and be able to continue to do what I want to do. And honestly, if I tried to push and do heavy mileage or, I mean, I do hill work at their quality miles. They're not junk miles. And I think that makes all mm -hmm. the difference. So they're either a hill workout or, you know, I'll do an interval or like a tempo run, that kind of stuff, some track workouts. So my mileage might not be great, but I really get the most bang for the buck out of it. And then that way, I don't get injured and I can still do what I want to do. And I think that's, this is becoming more and more common because what I'm hearing you say is you've got basically three days of strength and conditioning and a couple of days of the actual running and biking, swimming, et cetera. And once upon a time, the way to train for a marathon was just to run ridiculous miles. But I'm hearing more and more these days that people have got what you, very similar to what you just described, some, some strength and conditioning training, and then that low mileage and then maybe ramp that up a little bit, but as opposed to just that constant heavy running or that constant heavy aerobic work. So that's interesting that you're, that's what you're, you say, that's enough to keep you in condition and ready it to go. It really right? does. I mean, there's a point of diminishing return for sure. And I think the older that you get, the, <laughs> yeah, it 
it gets harder and harder. So I don't know, it's just enough um, in terms of being able to just sort of know that this is where I'm, I'm just always at that level. And I can just kind of like, I mean, my husband teases me. He's like, she can go out and run a marathon right now. And yeah, I guess I could, it would be really ugly. (laughs) And I'd probably have to pee in your yard or, you know, whatever. But, um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I could pull it out of my butt if I had to, but yeah, ramping it up just a little tiny bit right before, I think makes much more sense than beating your body up, beating your body up and then getting there. And you're like, you get to the starting line and you're beat, you're beat down. <laughs> and I had yeah. a friend who used yeah. to always say, and we would, he would crack me up. He's like, cause he would, he was like me, low mileage, low mileage. He's like, you're going to hurt like hell in the race anyway. Why put the, why get put all that pain on yourself before you get there? <laughs> it's like to a degree yeah. he's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's got a point there. Well, let's switch from training a little bit and talk about how you fuel all this activity. What does your diet look like? And what are your thoughts on nutrition for this kind of effort and output? Um, Well, I don't have anything specific in terms of, you know, I don't do keto or anything like like that. I would, I think if you, (laughs) since you said you read my book, you probably could probably surmise that I'm not somebody that you could say that you could just put me in a neat little box and be like, that's what I do. And that's who I am. And that's who she is and whatever. Like, it's just, I'm not that person, but, um, I think they're great, but I just don't follow anything. Cause I, I have a weird thing with my mind where, if, like I said earlier, if you tell me I can't do something, it makes me want to do it. So I can't tell myself that there are certain things that I'm not allowed to eat because then I don't want to eat them. <laughs> Like it just doesn't work well with me. As long as I know myself, that's all that matters. So my nutrition is really pretty clean. I would say, I mean, once in a great while, obviously I'll I'll do pizza or if I'm on the road, I'll hit McDonald's because it's there. But for the most part, I I actually um, do daily harvest, to be honest with you. Um, It's all plant-based meals and they're delivered um, to our door and it's, they're, really easy. I'm lazy. I don't like to cook. So, um, it's like having super healthy, fresh food without the effort. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, I'm not a vegetarian. I do eat steak and beef and whatever, but, and chicken and stuff. But so I get, make sure I have my protein. Um, that's super important. Um, daily harvest ensures the fact that I'm doing all of my veggies also super important. Even though I'm not a vegetarian, I would say I probably lean more towards a vegan diet and I have given up um, dairy. So I, I found again in my, I keep saying in my age group, but it really makes a huge difference in um, the inflammation, you know, and, and how it affects your body, um, how quickly you can recover. So important now these days where I never even recover. What the, what the hell is recover? When you're young, you don't even think about yeah. it. You just, like, what, what is that? Um, now it's important. So I, I've just, you know, tweaked a few things and, and giving up dairy has been probably the best thing that I could have done in that regard. So I guess, I mean, I'm a clean eater, but if you put a chocolate chip cookie in front of me, I will, I will eat it. <laughs> yeah. So no, nothing's no. off limits, but it sounds like mostly clean. you're eating a lot of veggies and, and meats and um, just clean food. And that's whole foods. I, yeah, I would imagine. Like whole food diet basically with some Mm -hmm. things here and there that just because I'm a person, I'm a human. (laughs) Sure. 
Absolutely. And you mentioned uh, recovering there. What are your thoughts on recovery? So what do you do for self-care outside of nutrition in terms of being able to recover? And certainly as we age, right, that is more and more of a consideration. You're right. As teenagers or in your 20s, you don't care about recovery because you just do it. But as we get older, it's a little... It takes a little more thought and effort. What do you, what are your thoughts? Uh, on I'm a big proponent of massage. Um, you know, getting sports mas- massages regularly as possible. Like if I need it, like, especially pre and post race, I think is important. Not too close to a race if you're going to be sore or anything like that, but post race, super important for recovery. Um, I have a coach um, that I've worked with in the past that really pushes the ice bath thing. And I don't like being cold, even though I did say I'm going to Antarctica. Um, I will do it once in a great while if I'm feeling especially bad, but um, I'm just so bad at being cold that I know it's like really great for you and and it does work, but I'm not great at it. So I, I would more be prone to do the massage and um, I love to get in the water, getting in the water to swim, like not like go crazy, you know, like interval training or anything like that, but just, um, loosening up. I mean, it does so much wonders, um, just to get in the water and swim some laps and that shakes me loose and my muscles don't hurt anymore. Like even just from one swim. So those are probably massage and swimming are my two recovery go-tos for sure. I'm not much of a yoga person, although I know it's important. Um, however, I don't practice it. (laughs) Right. No. Yeah. Fair. Fair enough. Yeah. You might not be wired for yoga. Who knows? Not everybody is. My. Yeah. It's just not me. But I. I think it's cool. It's just I don't. I don't do it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I do think those two things are great. And ice, I would do if I could get in it. But I. I have such a hard time. Do you do ice baths? I do not do ice baths. No, I have, but yeah, I'm with you. It's, I don't like being cold. And horrible. Yeah. Horrible. I'm not sure I'm getting the return. That's worth the, the effort. And I've so, tried cryo no, I and I know people love it, but I don't really feel like I get anything out of cryo either, which I don't want to tell anybody yeah. if they love it. But, and I also hate being in there. I'm like, how much time, you know, they're like, it just started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, this is terrible. <laughs> What about sleep? Are you, do you feel like um, sleep is an important oh, part of your yeah. recovery? But, yeah, I guess I took that one for granted. That's another thing as you get older, you, um, I don't know, maybe not everybody. And for women, it gets difficult in this age bracket because we have a hard time sleeping in menopause, like ruins that whole thing. But um, it's super important. And I, I get probably like nine hours a night. I mean, I'm like, at least like, I, that's another thing. I'm not a morning person, which I think most people, who do like running and ultras and all that crap, triathletes. They're like morning people. <laughs> that does seem to be the archetype of it, the, of the typical right? marathoner, right? They're up at five o'clock in the morning out there. Getting their miles in. I, I'm just as happy doing it at 11, 11 AM or one o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon. If I don't have to get up, I'm not getting up. <laughs> yeah. No. All right. Fair enough. Well, yeah, I think that's that's an often overlooked piece of uh, the recovery that's puzzle true. too is, is sleep and how important that is for real recovery. Very true. Well, let's switch gears here a little bit and talk about your um, nonprofit, Girls with Soul, um, and that's S O L E for folks that don't know. Tell us kind of where that idea came from, and then talk us through kind of the formation and where it is now. Well. Um... Yeah, it, it's a nonprofit, uh, 501c3, 
And I started it 11 years ago. And it came truly, like I said, how my dad probably kind of in a way invented it is not really that far-fetched because, you know, I've always wanted to work in nonprofit, but like working with children in particular. And I did have a job as um, an executive director for a nonprofit here in Cleveland called Wigs for Kids. So it's like hair replacement for kids who have, well, cancer, trickle tunnel mania, or anything that has to do with like alopecia with hair loss. So they, they create wigs for them. And um, I, I thought it was amazing. I worked there for a little while, about two years. And there was something still missing um, inside of me where I was like, I'm, why am I not like feeling completely fulfilled in the fact that I'm, I should be putting together the two things that literally saved my life as a kid? You know, like I love fitness. I love um, the things that it's done for me. Every single good thing in my life is somehow related back to it. Literally everything. Um, and I thought, well, why am I not doing this? And for other kids who wouldn't do it, wouldn't be able to get this same outcome on their own. Like they otherwise might not even realize that it was an option. You know, there's a lot of kids, especially in underserved areas, you know, they don't have the ability to go or somebody to take them to what we call pay and play, you know, like at a rec center, or they don't have sports in school, they don't have gym class in school, they don't have anything, they've got a lot of time to get in trouble and a lot of negative energy. So I'm like, Oh, my gosh, I'm gonna start a nonprofit that does this. So I looked it up, you know, I did a bunch of research. And there really was not anything that um, did both mind body, you know, there was a lot of female empowerment groups that were maybe talk based or um, sort of like group conversation project or, you know, whatever based, but not anything that involved the, the movement portion. And that was so imperative to me, like to be able to move, like I would just shake away like all of the bad um, feelings while I was running and sweating. It was like, you literally sweat them out. Um, sitting down and talking about it is helpful, but you can't only do that to be whole and healthy. So I'm like, all right, that's it. It's the height of the recession. It's time to start a brand new nonprofit. So crazy me, <laughs> and you know, you can't do that. People are closing their doors. They're, you know, like, whatever. If, if I help one kid and it fizzles and dies, then I'm happy. Um, then I did what I was put on this planet to do literally. Cause I'm really not even supposed to be here. <laughs> So I did it. I started Girls of Soul. And what we do is provide fitness and wellness programs and sort of art-based um, discussions, but it's mind, body, soul focused um, to girls who have experienced abuse of any type or who are at risk. And we bring the programs directly to them where they are. So I develop program um, partnerships with residential treatment centers and schools and um, different social service agencies and um we do a summer camp every year and everything is based on um, our power principles and power stands for perseverance, optimism, wisdom, energy, and resilience. And so we've been doing that for 11 years now. And they told me that it would never work and no one would want to support or be part of the abused girls club is what I was told. And I'm like, that's okay. If you don't, you don't get it, you don't get it. It's cool. But I know people will because I can't be the only person on the planet who has experienced or or know, you know, the healing benefits of workouts for uh, trauma. So here we are. 
Yeah, that's just a fantastic story that you that you took that upon yourself to take your life experience and apply that to at risk girls that have obviously experienced some type of trauma and whatnot um, to give them that finish line feeling, right? That empowerment of that comes along with training for something and doing something that you didn't think you could yeah. do, right? And that most people and don't that no do. one can take from and, you once you did do it. And nobody that's can take that powerful. from them. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. So when you get, when these girls first come to you, I'm imagining you have a bunch of different reactions, but I'm just thinking to myself of a, you know, a, a girl who's suffered some sort of trauma in her life and in, in that particular age bracket, I believe it's what? Eight? Yeah, it's 18. Um, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. there's been times where it's gone higher or lower, but that's basically who we serve. Are they open to this right away or does it take a while for them to kind of warm up to the idea? How have you found the receptiveness of these girls when they first meet you or come into your the majority program? are not super receptive. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And also I go in there and I, I myself, I don't treat anybody any different than I would speak to you. I speak to them the same way. And um, I think that they like it in a way, but they don't want to admit it. And they're also like, what the hell? Why is this crazy woman so like happy and weird and nuts? Like she's just insane. Like they just don't, Unfortunately, it's unusual and not the norm for them to experience positive energy or somebody who is smiling. Like you smile at them and they freak out. Like they just think it's like the weirdest thing. They don't freak out in a bad way. It's never bad, but they're just like, okay, what is she on? You know? So, and they'll let me know a lot of times if, you know, like I hate exercise and I don't sweat and I don't, I'm not going to do this or whatever. And then by the end, at least of the first session, if not the second session, for sure, they're like, can you come back tomorrow? I mean, they're just like, they, they switch very quickly and they do start to realize, Hey, this does make me feel good. Or they see like, Oh, she's not so weird after all. Like this is something I can use as a tool when I'm anxious or pissed or whatever, you know? So I don't know. They look at me like I'm nuts and then can you come back tomorrow is usually what they'll say. <laughs> yeah, I can certainly imagine that. And I I can see you being very relatable, right? You've got life experiences that matches some of these girls. And um, as opposed to somebody just coming in maybe uh, more as a coach um, or a social worker with a program, I think that your approach is probably much more relatable to these girls. And once you've overcome that initial, and that's kind of what I was getting at, are these girls coming in and going, oh yeah, I'm, I'm ready yeah, to run. And they're like, hmm, I don't know about that. A lot of, right? Yeah, a lot of, yeah. Art, a lot of it. guy. Yeah. Or they're like up against the wall. Like they're like, oh hell no, I'm not stepping out near her. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like I'm contagious right? or something. But um, yeah, and they the relatable part is pretty important. I think, first of all, they know I'm genuine and kids like that and kids in general can sniff it out like a mile away if you're not. Um, So I think that that makes it better and they definitely appreciate that part of me. But also I do share my story with them in the first session, which I think goes a long way, even if they're, you know, and not exactly in the same, you know, situation or have, haven't experienced the same thing. They love the fact that I'm just openly telling them and they're like, wow, she just like said that, like it was nothing, you know, like not that it was nothing, but that like I was okay with telling them. So to them, just giving permission to give voice to their own story in, in its own right is like already like, this is awesome. You know, 
just like yeah. came yeah. in and told us and she's fine and she's happy. So she can do it. I can do it. Like they already have that seed planted and then I just got to cultivate it a little and, and, and it blooms from there. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. You get in there and kind of break down some of those barriers, but I'm, I'm sure those girls are putting oh, up walls to the entire world, too. right? I, and I, I know if they're yeah. happy to me or they're mean or they're angry or they say something to me, I totally get it because that was me. <laughs> so like there's a lot, most of the time when they say stuff to me, I just smile. I'm like, okay, you know, and I've never been punched or anything. So they obviously don't mind me too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So what's next for you? What what do you have on, on tap? I saw on Instagram that you are, is it a novel that, oh, you're, yes, that you have? I, or? Um, I just had my first novel that I wrote um, get picked up by my publisher. So, and he doesn't usually do um, fiction. Uh, he's more of a nonfiction um, publisher. So, but he thinks it's really good and he thinks it'll have some value. It, it'll, it, it is sort of focused on um, maybe taking some of the stigma out of mental illness and stuff like that, but it's, it's all fiction. And um, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I don't know when it's going to come out. I think it'll be released in April, um, okay. but we're not entirely sure. Um, cause I literally like just signed the agreement with them, but yeah, I'm really excited because finish line feeling. And then my girls with soul workbook um, are both awesome. And, you know, I wrote them really just with the intent of not being like, Oh, I'm an author or anything like that. It was like, I want to help people who, you know, I wouldn't be able to reach if, you know, obviously there's a lot of adults and other kids that aren't in girls with soul that I would love to be able to reach. And maybe if it helped them, even in the slightest, that's why I wrote them. And, I'm like, cool. But this is like a, like a book book, <laughs> like a story that I made up with, with people and scenarios and plot. And I'm like, oh my God, this is cool. So yeah, it's coming out and I'm really excited. Okay. So that sounds like you have a busy spring because we know you're going to yeah. Antarctica um, and going to run a marathon yeah. there. It's crazy as that sounds. So in New York in um, May, that's um, where I'm hoping that I'll be sort of like releasing it and yeah, it's called okay. Chameleon Girl, is what it's called. <laughs> okay, well, and we'll we'll be we'll be looking out for that. Anything else you have uh, in the in the works? Oh my goodness, no! I mean, I really got to get through Antarctica. I'm worried about the cold. <laughs> I just need to get through that, and then I'll worry about everything else from there. And, and no, I don't think I have too much else. I mean, Girls with Soul is ongoing. We have a new partnership um, that I'm excited about with a. Uh, uh, Cleveland Missing. Um, it's an organization that helps families who are going through that missing person process, you know, with their children. Um, and they bring, they're bringing Girls with Soul in. And I go to the gym that I mentioned earlier, where I take the strength and conditioning classes. Um, so it's going to, it's where um, we have the kids come with us to the gym and the Northeast Ohio Amber Alert is part of it too. So we have sort of like a multifaceted um, program where I'm sort of their mentor. And we're, once the kids are recovered um, after they're a missing person, hopefully, obviously, the objective is that they're found. Um, and I sort of bring them through a process where they're sort of like being mentored into a healthier lifestyle so they don't go back into their old ways. And hopefully, you know, it'll continue on for a while. We've already helped three kids who have been recovered. 
So they're doing really well um, in school and their parents say that their um, demeanor is night and day and, you know, it's just, they're really excited about it. So it's going really well so far. That's probably our newest thing that we've done. And it sort of blossomed out of COVID because, you know, you can't go into facilities right now with COVID. So um, it just happened at the perfect time because they're a small group and they're at the gym, you know, like, so we're allowed to be in there with them. So it's pretty cool. That's very cool. Yeah. So where would you like people to connect with you? Uh, we've got your website, Instagram. Where, where are some places you'd like people to connect? I think Instagram is probably the best. Um, it's just girls with soul at girls with soul, S-O-L-E. Um, our website is always, it's girlswithsoul.org. Everything's girls with soul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, it would be amazing if people wanted to um, follow us on Instagram or Facebook. It would be great. And if people were interested in supporting you, do you have a, I think you have a GoFundMe or do you have a way that you, yeah, you take well, contributions? The, yeah, for the marathon, um, it's called um, Hope is the Tip of the Iceberg. And that's clearly the Antarctic Marathon um, that we're doing a fundraising link on GoFundMe. Um which is also on our website. And then, you know, we just have PayPal as well on the website, which is what, you know, a lot of people do too. If they, if they don't like to do GoFundMe for whatever reason, that's okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Liz, you're obviously a great ambassador for healthy aging. I mean, you're obviously in great shape. You're doing amazing things, Thank you. but even more so, um, I just applaud the work you're doing with the girls with soul and taking your life experience and pouring that into a, a needy population. I just think that's fantastic. And the world could use a lot more of that. Oh, thanks. Then they can age better too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. All right. Well, thanks so much for taking the time and being on the show with us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Well, that's our show for today, folks. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell your friends and please consider subscribing and giving us a five-star review. All the show notes and much more are available at our website at silver-edge.com. That's silver-edge.com. So until next time, stay strong.